0: So I know in the news, you've been hearing a lot of conflicting information about this drug, hydroxychloroquine. On one side, they're saying there's no studies. And the other side, they're saying it's a miracle cure. What I want to do is give you the exact facts, and then you can make up your mind if it's a good solution. Presently, there's only three studies that show that this drug is effective. And there are two studies that show that it's not effective. And I want to kind of go through them. But just realize right now, there's quite a few studies that are going on right now. So over time, we'll know more and more and more. And I'm going to put the links to all these studies down below so you can check it out. The first study, they found that hydroxychloroquine potently blocks the infection of COVID-19 in vitro. That means outside of the body in some other testing medium. So it was not done uh, with humans. The second study was involved in France. It was a clinical trial. 20 patients. So over here, we have three graphs. The green showed hydroxychloroquine plus the antibiotic, azithromycin. Now in the blue, we have the group that just took hydroxychloroquine. And then in black, we had the control group, which did not receive the, uh, either one of the medications. So this is, shows you the RNA from the virus. So as you can see, the group that had the hydroxychloroquine and the antibiotic within five days, it tested negative. Compared to the group with just hydroxychloroquine and without the antibiotic, and it did not come all the way down about 45%. So this antibiotic is important. And then of course, comparing it to the controls, which got nothing, you can see that they just went down by a little bit. And then in the last study, a Chinese randomized control clinical trial, there was quite a few more patients, 62. So what they found was the temperature recovery time and the time which they had a fever and the duration of coughing both significantly improved. There was also a significant improvement in pneumonia symptoms. Now let's talk about the two studies that showed that hydroxychloroquine was not effective. Okay, First study was in China on 15 people. It was for five days. They found there was no difference on CAT scan within five days, which I find it kind of uh, hard to believe that you're going to see changes on a CAT scan within five days. They also found that 93% of the control group, which did not receive this, showed negative to the virus within five days versus the 87.7% of people who received the hydroxychloroquine, they were negative within five days. So the difference between these two numbers are not significant. But here's the problem. The control group, the group that did not receive the hydroxychloroquine uh, got bed rest, oxygen, antiviral medication, antibiotics as needed, and both groups got interferon, which is a substance that kills viruses. And also one point about this study, um, they used hydroxychloroquine, but they didn't use the antibiotic. In the other studies that showed effectiveness, they combined it with an antibiotic. And after two weeks, both groups tested negative for the virus. So there were some issues with this study. The second study that showed that hydroxychloroquine didn't work was in France, 11 patients, so we're actually going down. They showed that uh, combining hydroxychloroquine with the antibiotic was ineffective. So here's the problem with this study. Eight of the patients showed significant health conditions. Two of them with hematological cancer one, with HIV infection, and two, which were obese, not overweight, but obese. So the combination of just so few patients with these severe health problems, who knows where these people were in relationship to how advanced these conditions are. So this really is not the best study to prove that this medication doesn't work. In fact, you really need to do it on a very large group of people over 750 people to really know. But also, do we ignore the results from doctors in the field working with real patients? I don't think so. Check this out. Doctor, can we talk about that surge? Because it certainly sounds pretty scary.
1: Certainly. So the surge doesn't imply that we're going to have a tsunami of cases coming into the hospital system. Okay, that's not the surge. The surge is just a slow rising of the tide, so to speak, to the point at which it overflows the dam. And so you can imagine we have a steady stream of patients coming into the hospital right now. All the hospitals nationwide are filling up, filling up, filling up. The amount of time it takes to manage these COVID patients is longer in, in duration. And so therefore, as people continue to come in, we eventually fill the entire hospital system. At that point is when we reach the surge, when all of the ventilators are used up, when every hospital bed is is occupied, when every hospital bed is now acting as an ICU bed. At that point, when people are still coming in the front door of the hospital, that's the surge. Because at that point, we have no more resources available. But Dr. Smith, um, you pointed out that not a single patient of yours, COVID patient, uh, that has been on the hydroxy regimen has had to be intubated. For people who don't know what intubated means, please explain quickly.
2: Yeah, so uh, intubated means your respiratory, and respiratory failure and you have to be put on a ventilator. Intubation means actually putting the tube down into your trachea and then you're placed on a ventilator for support, respiratory support. We've had, uh, I mentioned the 20 intubations, over most all of them occurred in the first two days. MORE IMPORTANTLY, NO PERSON HAS RECEIVED FIVE DAYS OR MORE OF THE hydroxychloroquine azithro COMBINATION HAS BEEN INNOVATED. THE chance OF THAT OCCURRING BY CHANCE, ACCORDING TO MY SONS, LEON AND HUNTER, WHO DID SOME STATS FOR ME, ARE .00, 000 SOMETHING. It's, IT'S RIDICULOUSLY LOW DEPENDING <laughs> ON HOW YOU LOOK AT IT. Yeah. IT'S RIDICULOUSLY LOW, NO MATTER HOW YOU LOOK AT IT. Um, WE WORRY ABOUT SELECTION BIAS IN THE SITUATION, BUT I CANNOT THINK OF A REASON WHY. IF ALL ELSE IS EQUAL, why people that have received five days or more, or even four days or more, uh, this hydroxychloroquine azithro regimen wouldn't get innovated? In other words, if the regimen didn't work, why would it just be the people that didn't get nearly completed, nearly complete the regimen? Most of the people um, were in the first two days. I started doing some research. I'm a primary
3: care doctor for a small community of a square mile of 35,000 people. To live within a square mile. The population density there is is large, and I knew that when this infection hits, it's gonna go everywhere at the same time. And I was concerned that I had no, uh, nothing to help these people with. Up to this point, every single doctor on the planet will say to a, a patient who has this infection, go home, drink some fluids, take some Tylenol, and if you develop respiratory distress, go to the hospital. They go to the hospital. They may end up intubated and develop acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's not very um, pr- uh, efficient in treating people, I would say. And and especially we're running out of respirators in the hospital, in the in the town where I am. Our hospital is running out of respirators, and it's only going to get worse. So we really need a an option, a treatment option, to intervene early to help these people. So what did I do? I started doing research. I, I looked into what the other countries were doing, and I looked into South Korea, and I found that they, were, they had treated their patients with hydroxychloroquine and zinc. I wasn't sure why, but that's what they were doing. And then there was a study that came out of France, Marseille, that uh, they were using hydroxychloroquine and azothermycin, but that was done in vitro in, in the test tube, not in patients. So, I, I wanted to understand how, how this virus works. And it's actually the same as all viruses. A virus cannot grow on its own, it needs to get inside a person's cell, and then it hijacks the cell's machinery to reproduce. It's a real parasite. And in doing so, it kills the cell. And can you hear me? I'm sorry.
1: yes, oh, yes you're absolutely. fine. Coming yeah. through loud, loud and clear.
3: And um, so I started realizing that zinc is a mineral that's well known to uh, be used when people have colds and there's a reason behind it. It turns out that zinc uh, inhibits a certain enzyme called replicase, doesn't matter the technical term, but that enzyme is within the cell involved in making copies of the genetic material of the virus. In other words, it helps the virus reproduce helps the virus grow in number. And zinc plugs that up. It throws a monkey wrench. It makes uh, the virus not replicate as fast or stops it completely. But the problem with zinc, that it's a positively charged mineral and does not cross into the cell mem- through the cell membrane easily or at all. It's difficult for the zinc to get to the place where it needs to be to be able to fight the virus. So it turns out, What does hydroxychloroquine do? We're using this word a lot, but it's not magic. There there is a a theory behind it, a concept, which is very elegant and very beautiful. All hydroxychloroquine does is it opens a channel within the cell membrane and allows for zinc to go from outside the cell to inside the cell. Once the zinc goes inside the cell, it begins to um, attack the virus by not allowing it to reproduce. So essentially, what happens is the viral load of the patient goes down, and that's very important because in the majority of patients, the low-risk population, their immune systems are brisk enough that they could clear the virus before the virus uh, hurts the lungs. Essentially, it's a race between the immune system and the virus's desire to destroy the lungs. Now, in people that are high risk, which I'll explain in a minute, their immune system is not fast enough, in some cases, to eliminate the virus. The virus takes hold and destroys the lungs. So whatever we can do to weaken the enemy, to to weaken the virus, and give the person's immune system more time to overcome the virus, that is very beneficial to the patient. And the antibiotic that's also used is there as a guard. It protects against secondary bacterial infections. What happens frequently with viral infections, it damages the lungs and that makes it more susceptible for secondary bacterial infections, which lead to pneumonias and those terrible complications. So that's the theory, that was the concept. So I decided to make a a cocktail of uh, taking the South Korean approach with the French approach and I made a three drug regimen. I modified the doses to reflect less sick patients because I'm treating patients in the outpatient setting when they're not as severely ill. And I started to see patients and stratifying them into low risk or high risk. Now, let me define high risk. Anyone over the age of 60, anyone with uh, chronic medical problems such as heart disease, diabetes, uh, cancer, anyone with a compromised immune system. And I added one more uh, criteria. Anyone that looked really bad in my office, that looked sick, that looked toxic, that had difficulty breathing. Um, And those are the patients that I treated with the regimen. So let me give you the numbers so we we can discuss the specifics. As of um, from March 15th till March 31st, I saw 911 patients that were diagnosed with this infection, with the COVID-19 infection. Diagnosis was initially made with testing. However, I ran out of tests. So I had to use clinical decision-making based on patient symptoms and history and exposure. And the fact that in my community, 75% of the tests were positive. So it was reasonable to assume if a person presents in a certain way that they have that infection. I had 911 patients that were diagnosed. I treated with the regimen only 350 patients. The rest were low risk. They were sent home with supportive care and they all got better. But the 350 patients, I intervened early, immediately in my office, giving this drug regimen to these patients. And let me share with you the outcomes as of today. I had zero deaths. I had three patients admitted uh, intubated or on a respirator. Uh, subsequently, one is off now, so only two are still on the respirator. And I had six patients admitted uh, with bacterial pneumonia to receive IV antibiotics, and two of which already came home. Now, let's do some statistics. Depending on which country you look at, the mortality rate in the high-risk patients is between 5 and 10% we're an advanced country, so let's take the lower number of 5%. But so out of those 350 patients, we statistically should have seen 17 dead people and a multiple of that on respirators. What did I see? Zero dead people and only three people on the respirator. That was a significant discovery. And I'm not claiming to find a cure. I'd rather use an analogy. Imagine a frontline soldier happens to come across some very important intelligence. And this intelligence needs to be communicated to the top general because it's going to help win the war. And I, I, I saw the significance of what this meant. So I'm a simple country doctor. I don't have connections. So I made a YouTube video directed, directed to the president of the United States. Um, in Hebrew, they would say that's chutzpah. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, but I did. And the next day, Mr. Mark Meadows called me the president's chief of staff, I was (laughs) shocked. And uh, he wanted to know what I was doing. I told him he was very interested and he told me to keep him updated. I had his uh, email and and cell number. And um, subsequently the next day or two, I wrote up a protocol and I spammed every single doctor I knew to see what they thought. And a day later, Sean Hannity calls me. And uh, it's, this is unbelievable. This is like
1: <laughs> real. You're, you're in a small town with you've got 35,000 people, and here the uh, one of the, the chief of staff for the president of the United States and Sean Hannity are calling you.
3: <laughs> and must, it must have been
1: quite a video. I, it must have been quite a video.
3: He uh, reads the, my protocol on air, talks to me a little bit. And then that was on the radio show. And later at night, he interviewed Vice President Pence, and he told the Vice President my protocol, "Fine." A few days later, uh, I get a phone call from Rudy Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani, and he said he wants to do a podcast with me. <laughs> so next day we did a podcast. I spoke for forty minutes, and since then, uh, things have gone global. Um, I've been contacted by the governments of Ukraine, of Russia, of Israel. I'm dealing now with the Minister of Health of Israel, and they're already incorporating my protocols. This is very difficult to uh, to, to comprehend or to conceptualize for me, but how I ended up in the middle of this tsunami, uh, this global war, this World War III, which we're really in. This is World War III. It's the virus versus humanity. And that's why I can't understand why we have academic uh, researchers who, they still operate with a peacetime mentality. We should do a study, take three, four months, make sure that uh, we are 100% sure that this is the right way to go. But the problem is we don't have time. I look at the statistics, every hour, another 100 dead Americans. We wait another four months, we're going to have a million dead people in this country. But this is not peacetime, this is wartime. And in war, we have to practice battlefield medicine. You know, where I am, there's no more labs, outpatient laboratories, they're all closed. There's no more radiology places, they're all closed. My office has quadrupled the number of patients Uh, that we were seeing. The hospitals are saturated. This is not normality, this is not normal. The world is no longer the same. So we need to adjust and we have to be brave and we have to take risk. Because in war, you have to take risk and it has to be calculated risk and there has to be a risk versus benefit analysis. And, And that's what I did. That's why I wanted to initiate treatment with my patients And by the way, these drugs are being used anyway in the ICU setting already in America. All I did was uh, make a little modified cocktail and take it out of the ICU and put it into the primary care office.
1: I got very sick, (laughs) I got very sick.
3: Amy Gamble went to Dr. Dimitri Yanez's clinic the day after she developed a cough, but she tested negative for COVID-19.
1: Even though uh, my COVID test came back negative, they've been seeing some false negatives. And um, Dr. Yanez was convinced that um, I still w- had COVID-19 and um, my pneumonia was getting worse and I, I literally couldn't breathe. I mean, I, I, I was probably a step away from going into the hospital.
3: Seeing a growing need, Dr. Yanez set up a COVID clinic in a tent outside his Bay St. Louis OBGYN office four weeks ago. There he is evaluating, testing, and treating patients, including Gamble, with hydroxychloroquine in conjunction with the antibiotic zithromax, he says the results have been spectacular.
0: I, I've seen a turnaround in their symptoms sometimes as soon as you know four or five days, and for double pneumonias, I've seen it you know turn around in five to seven days. Amazing, isn't it? And by the way, I also put a link down below from Dr. Zelenko. Okay, Two things. One is his protocol. He uses hydroxychloroquine 200 milligrams twice a day for five days. He uses azithromycin 500 milligrams once a day for five days. And he uses, which I think is very, very important because these patients are very deficient in zinc, he uses zinc sulfate at 220 milligrams once a day for five days. Now think about this. Um, The average zinc that you really need from the RDAs is roughly only like 20 to 25 milligrams. He's recommending 10 times that, which makes a lot of sense because zinc is involved in just about every part of your immune system. And this is what he said. We had zero deaths, zero hospitalizations, and zero intubations. In addition, we have not heard of any negative side effects other than approximately 10% of the patients with temporary nausea and diarrhea. One of the things you want to differentiate is that these doctors now are using hydroxychloroquine versus chloroquine. The hydroxy added to the chloroquine makes it much safer. I'll put the link down below. But there's three mechanisms of how this drug works. The first one is that it's an ionophore, which allows zinc to enter in the cell, and zinc inhibits the coronavirus. In fact, I'll put this other study right here where they're talking about zinc inhibits the coronavirus. In vitro and zinc ionophores block the replication of these viruses in the cell culture. So basically, zinc blocks the reproduction of the virus. Okay, that's one thing that it does. Number two, it protects the breakdown of hemoglobin what they're finding now is that the coronavirus attacks the hemoglobin. That's the thing that helps you carry oxygen around through the body. So it breaks down the heme and the iron. So when it breaks this down, guess what? You no longer are able to carry oxygen in the lungs. So right there, you can end up having difficulty breathing and end up in the hospital if your immune system is compromised. But check this out. What happens is the iron breaks off from the heme. When you have free iron floating through your bloodstream and into the lung, this is extremely oxidizing, okay? So it's gonna create a lot of free radical damage. It's gonna create damage in the vascular system for the heart and the lung. And I believe this is what's causing the ground glass appearance in the lungs on CAT scans. So hydroxychloroquine, Protects this system from breaking down. So you're going to see less damage in the lung and more oxygen. And number three, hydroxychloroquine suppresses the innate part of the immune system. The innate part of the immune system is where you have these white blood cells that are like the first line of defense. But you also have those cells that are involved in the cytokine storm, which has to do with a lot of inflammation going on that's caused by the actual innate immune system so in other words your immune system is dysfunctional to the point where part of it is overcompensating and creating collateral damage so it's not even the virus that's creating the damage now it's your own immune system that's trying to kill it off but it can't stop the brake pads are damaged well hydroxychloroquine suppresses this function right here, thereby reducing the inflammation. And that's probably why it works in lupus, which is an autoimmune condition, as well as rheumatoid arthritis. All right, guys, if you haven't seen my video on how to boost the immune system, I put it right here. Check it out. Hey, guys, I just want to let you know I have my new keto course just came out. It's a mini course.